0: There has been a lot of focus on essential workers in the past couple of years, but a number of jobs deemed essential today might very well become extinct in the near future. Cashier, dispatcher, bus and taxi drivers are some of the jobs that look to be in jeopardy due to technological advances and an increasingly automated world. One day in the future, we may look back on cashiers the same way we look back on human alarm clocks today. They were also called knocker-uppers and went to their clients' homes with a long pole or a pea shooter to knock on their windows. And yes, they would have been considered essential workers before mechanical clocks came around in the mid-1800s, because without them, you would have probably been late for work. But sitting here in the early 21st century sure seems funny to picture some guy shooting a pea at my window so that I could get up on time still deemed essential, if you can believe it, are radio DJs. That comes from the role they can play in reporting and relaying emergency information, and even though that function looks to be fading into the sunset, it is still at least technically recognized as critical. DJs were also once essential as part of the music business ecosystem, at least until the internet age and the great consolidation of media companies, which roughly coincided with each other. It may seem funny now to picture some disc jockey picking out CDs from stacks of mail and deciding the future of rock and roll, but that is kind of how it happened in a lot of places. It may sound far-fetched that a DJ in Tampa, Florida would have cemented the career of a flamboyant roots rock trio from North Carolina by picking up on one of their songs, a song added in afterthought at the last minute to their major label debut, That is how it happened for Rick Miller, Mary Huff, and Dave Hartman back in 1995. They tell that story and many more in this episode, where we bring in Ed Bumgardner to the conversation as well. Ed is the producer and bass player for an ambitious new benefit album called Be Good to Yourself, a double disc of North Carolina artists, including Rick and Mary on one of its tracks. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, with our episode on Southern Culture on the Skids. Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at osirispod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. I go way back with Southern Culture on the Skids from when I was in college and they were still working day jobs. The first time I got to interview them, however, was September 2021 when they played a drive-in show produced by WNCW, where they talked with me after soundcheck. It was their first show since March 2020, and all three were ecstatic about being able to do what they loved once again. It was also the first time they played songs from their album At Home with Southern Culture on the Skids, which gave them something to do in between, when they had more time on their hands than they had experienced in over 30 years. I asked them at what point did they realize that they were going to be in a band together for the long haul.
1: I started a band when I was in college and then Mary joined a few years later and then Dave joined the next year and uh, I never had any doubts that something, but I got a degree in painting and printmaking, Dave got a degree in music education, and Mary is the only dropout in the band, but she was... I dropped out to join your band, jerk, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) anyway so anyway we all had day jobs up until and we all could have had careers too but i think well the music we we just kind of all we got a house out in the woods and uh, the first kudzu ranch and we just all lived there and we just rehearsed and practiced every day and we kind of worked on our getting our thing together like mary's wigs i got it from her mom and my bib overalls and the world my grandparents are dairy farmers and and you know it's just stuff like they were trying to blend all that stuff together into writing some songs and being young people in the south at that point you know and that was in the early 90s and uh, we just woodshedded for about a year and then we just started touring and i mean dave had some money he got a van remember wow. we didn't even have seats in it we had a lawn chair That's
2: right.
1: yeah i mean if when you slammed on right? the brakes <laughs> i was like here i come dashboard right <laughs> So we had we we did that and we lived in this and we used to rehearse in the basement. We had to run the electricity down there. It had a it had a it had a clay floor. Remember we put all the rugs down there, but we still get electrocuted every once in a while when it was kind of damp Mm. and we'd get invasions of I don't know, what were they called?
2: Creepy crawlers. Mealybugs
1: where it was so many it was like a carpet of bugs down there and they're all mating i think so right? if we went down at like four in the afternoon once our hangovers wore off we'd say like dave can you get the shop back up and his job was to vacuum all the mealy bugs millions of mealy bugs up off the
2: floor It would fill a shop back halfway full
1: it was like walking on Fritos because they were all so crunchy. That was disgusting. It was disgusting. And but it smelled pers- like burning tires. That's, that's right. But we made it. We, but we learned all, you know, we wrote a bunch of songs. Uh-huh. And I think we still have some of the cassettes, remember, because we recorded all that stuff on cassettes. And we used to make our own demo tapes, right? And we'd send them. David, would write a, you know, we'd type out a thing. David, go the, put them in the mail. And that was back when we did it all ourselves. And we did that for about two years until we got a record deal and then we were still booking ourselves weren't we i mean i don't know uh-huh. until we made enough money where or we were working so much that we just couldn't do it anymore by ourselves which worked out because so much of that is like a catch-22 for young bands, right and uh but we actually had some leverage because we had been we had developed a lot of markets on our own but this was back in the early 90s, sleeping on people's floor. I and, mean, you know, there was a whole southern thing that you could do. You know, we did that over and over and over again. So we worked really hard. And then I think the, the big day for all of us is we, we put out a record on Moist Records. Too much pork for this one fork. Remember, they got us a, we booked a tour that took us all the way to Denver. And we were playing with the Monks of Doom. And we did a whole tour, and we were gone for like a month. And I just remember I quit my day job. Everybody quit their day jobs, and we were just like, "Well, that's it. That's it. We'll just live in this van." We ended up living in a van for about 10 years, you know, subsisting on about five bucks a day. Yep. You know, First store shopping by day and dive gigs by night. Oh yeah! <laughs> What's that buzz? What's that buzz? If I here?
0: It's Cicada Rock, a song on the Southern Culture on the Skids album that Rick Miller mentioned, this version being from their live disc, Double Wide and Live, recorded at one of their hometown venues, Local 506, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. If you haven't picked up on it so far, Southern Culture on the Skids play music that celebrates a kind of trailer park hedonism. They portray a tongue-in-cheek caricature of lowbrow lifestyles forever tied to terms like redneck and hillbilly is a carefully constructed universe with fried chicken, liquor, and thinly veiled innuendo on the marquee and big hair, pounding drums, and Link Ray-inspired guitar riffs aplenty, practically jumping off the stage. I asked the band about this aesthetic, but during the interview, a new realization came to me, which was that so many of their songs with characters who sound like they are straight out of a B movie, songs about things like A Neighbor Who Burns Trash, The Man Who Wrestles the Bear, or The Preacher Daddy and Go-Go Girl Mama, are based on direct experience more often than not. Southern culture on the skids makes music that is very often comical, but the thing is that so much of it comes straight from real life.
1: I remember my grandfather was a dairy farmer, and he wore bib overalls to work every day. And I thought, well, if he can wear bib overalls to work every day, I'm going to carry on the family tradition. So I just started wearing bib overalls when we played, right? And that whole kind of rural thing fit right into it all. Uh, and I grew up, my dad made mobile homes. I used to have to work in the mobile home factory. So I got a lot of good a lot of good inspiration from that. The man that a
2: bear worked there.
1: That, the song, the man that wrestles a bear is a true story about a guy I used to work with in the mobile home factory who would wrestle a bear at one of these county fairs, a muzzled bear, and he'd always lose. But the next day at work, he'd come in and he'd say, I got that bear's number next year. He's all mine. You know what I mean? I thought, well, that's kind of the human condition there. You know what I mean? It's all right. And then, Mary, talk about your look. Well, my mom did, Um, she did Barn Dinner Theater back in Roanoke, Virginia. So I grew up with, she had closets full of, like, dresses she would bring home from plays and wigs. And uh, I actually just started stealing her stuff, you know, her clothes, my grandmother's vintage clothes and kind of. Kind of just dressing up like that, really. That's but it hard. all it all worked though, right? Yeah. I mean, because we were all into music from the 50s and 60s mostly. Now, Dave, I don't know where you got your look
2: mm. like Uh, baldness basically <laughs> inspired mine. He's always yeah. had the best hats. Oh so, yeah, hats, you yeah. <laughs> know, and 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 poor eyesight, you yeah. know. So yeah, mine was just from a, a medical uh, necessity, I guess. I always thought you
1: had a good small-town lawyer look.
0: More inspiration comes from their days of touring nonstop. Here's drummer Dave Hartman.
2: We were stuck in Glendive, Montana for 10 days, and it's a humongous story, but recently, like literally in the last six months, on YouTube, this, um, this, documentary has come out on like touring bands and there's like hundreds of them and they each give like a five minute snippet of their worst story and it's called something like why am i keep why do i keep doing this i think is the name of it but and so i was like well let me check this out and so i'm watching it and the very first story by the very first band is about being stranded in glendive montana and i was like how is that possible
1: well you know it's the only city between fargo and like and bozeman you Maybe know yeah. well, well you know we 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 threw it in we threw a rod there in our van and uh, it started in louisville and we limped through a bunch of dates and we ended up in glendive when it finally just quit running and we so we're in glendive we stayed, they could they had to fly the parts in they had to fly a new engine in we stayed in this one hotel on the outskirts of town right we had to walk we had to draw everybody had to walk we had to walk about two miles to get a 12 pack right and walk back. So we so We'd straws day.
2: to see who was walking into town to get the beer that day. Yep. 12-pack yep. any hand. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so, and then, like we were there like eight days or so, eight days, and then the, the, they called us and they said, oh, your engine got in. I go, oh, is it ready to go? Is it ready to go? He goes, well, no, it'll be ready tomorrow. The guy that puts it in, his horse got sick, and he couldn't come into work. To, he had to take care of his horse, right? So we finally get it fixed and we're taking off, right? We have no money. We've spent all our money. And we get 70 miles down the road to Miles City, Montana. And it throws another rod. I had to wire my mom for money. Like at a grocery store, right? So we couldn't get AAA because there was no AAA. They were like 8 hours away, right? I mean, Montana's so big. I think there's only two AAA trucks, right? <laughs> so so we called the dealership, and he said, okay, well, I'm going to send a buddy of mine down to get you. So this guy shows up with a homemade flatbed trailer with a six-cylinder Jeep truck. <laughs> and here we have a stretch van full of equipment. And us. And us, right? And he puts it on the back. It barely fits. The wheels are about one inch from falling off the back of this trailer, right? So we hit the highway. Interstate, what, 90, what is it, 90, 94, 90 90, 94, 96, whatever it is. Yeah,
2: I'm not
1: sure. And every time we go over 20 miles an hour, <laughs> the front end of the truck comes off the ground, and we have no control. We're veering all around the interstate, right? So
2: <laughs> so Dave and our roadie were riding in the van on the flatbed. And right, Rick and, I are and they
1: couldn't get the up yet. because he said, don't let anybody see you because you're not supposed to be back there. <laughs> yeah. Right. So they're laying on the floor wondering, what the hell is going on, right?
2: Because
1: the guy would have to slam on the brakes to make his front wheels go back down. <laughs> and so we went 15 miles an hour
2: for 70 miles. Now add that up. <laughs> right?
1: What were the billboards?
2: Oh yeah like from you'd see a billboard in the distance like I'd pop my head up and I'd see a billboard and I'd lay back down and read another chapter in my book and then I would raise up and we would still be coming up on the billboard. <laughs>
1: cowboy archer and
2: and the guy only had one eye and it was he had a
1: this this eye was glass and when he and when he liked to tell he was telling us stories the whole time about sugar beets and all the stuff from around and when he'd get going he'd turn around and like to you know emphasize the part of the story, and he'd step on the gas and they'd come up about two years later we're in the same van and it blows an engine but this time in uh, what is it, Ritzville, Washington? That's right. Which is kind of like the same story. It's out in a, it's out way out in the eastern state, right? And that one, we just said, well, we got we got to get, we got a, we got a gig. We were going to do Garage shop. We were so excited to be to, to, we had to be in Billingham. We had to go into, a, had to do a border crossing, everything in the next couple of days. And we just said, well, do you know anybody? Do you know anybody that might want to trade us this van? for something run so that runs, so we could get down the road. And he goes, oh, let me think about it. I, well, I know a guy who's got some uh, foster kids. He'd love to have a bigger van. So I said, okay, bring it down. So he brought it down and it was a short bed Chevy. Primer it was gray. a short bed Chevy, primer gray. Well, it used to be half of it was an AT&T uh, mm-hmm. van. Bell right? telephone. Bell telephone, it was bell telephone days. And the other half was just spray painted gray. One of the doors was held on with a bungee cord. Remember? And he said, again, we only had two seats, so you had to, you had to get a long chair. I had bronchitis. Mary was sick. She had to lay on the equipment in the back. It looked like the
2: mystery machine. It did. Like Scooby-Doo.
1: And the trouble was though, when we hit the highway again, there was one tire that was the wrong size. So every time we went over 25 miles an hour, it wanted to veer off the road, right? (laughs) And the brakes didn't work, and it had so much shimmy in the And it didn't have a key, you had to start it with a screwdriver. Right, well, the guy handed me, he handed me a screwdriver, right, when I gave him our title. And he handed me a screwdriver, and I said, well, we got our own tools, and they're they're coming with us. We're not going to leave those in the van. He goes, oh no, this is how you got to start it. So, he didn't have a key. So, we had to start it with a screwdriver, so we couldn't lock it. The door's held on with a bungee cord, right? So we drive 35 miles an hour as far as we go. Everywhere we stop, we try to get a hotel so we get the break fixed six the next day and it was a cowboy art show. <laughs> Remember that? Like, nope, sorry, no beds. Cowboy art show in town. Oh, it's a big one. You know? And then Rick's stepdad was a judge, hanging Judge Pendleton, well, right? And well, so- Well, well that, wait, wait. Oh, am I getting ahead That's right. We finally found a place to, to stop, right? So we stopped, we went, to a, we went to a locksmith the next day and we said, Here's the, here's, the, here's the title I have. We need this rekeyed and we need the brakes fixed. And, you know, because we had to take it through to get the brakes fixed and the new tires and all this stuff. And the guy said, well, I looked at it and I realized that wasn't the guy that sold us the van. That wasn't his name. So I thought, oh my God, we got a hot vehicle. We have a stolen van and we have to cross the border into Vancouver, right? later that afternoon so i'm going what are we going to do the guy changed our keys because he was a musician and he felt sorry for us remember yeah so he changed the keys out for us so we could lock the van now but i I didn't know what to do about the border crossing so i called my uh mom's husband who was a judge in california i said what should i do should i go to the police and he goes whatever you do don't go to the police because you'll never get over the border right he just said, go for it. And he goes, when they stop you, they stop you. Hopefully you can get to three or four shows. And they never stopped us. Never stopped. it. We drove it all the way down to Geffen Records, remember? We parked it in front of Geffen we and did. said we're going to leave it there and spray paint. Geffen sucks on the side of it if you don't give us enough money to buy a van.
2: And they bought us a new van, yeah, they bought which a new we, van. I'm sure for them was pocket change. But we thought, oh, my God, this is unbelievable that we've got a new van for free. And then what happened to that van? Uh, we made it just uh, that's where 40 miles to Vegas came from. Uh, it broke down 40 miles from Vegas.
0: It's a bit of 40 Miles to Vegas by Southern Culture on the Skids from Plastic Seat Sweat, following the story of its inspiration. More from Rick, Mary, and Dave to come, but fast forward to today and a project that Rick Miller and Mary Huff took part in, the double-disc compilation Be Good to Yourself. It is an album with a slew of great North Carolina artists covering classics and each other's material, and it benefits musicians battling addiction and depression. I spoke with Ed Bumgarner by phone, and he told me how the project came about and how he pulled in so many legendary Carolina musicians.
3: It began as as a discussion following a funeral. You know, we had four, within 10 years, uh, fairly substantial movers and shakers in the local musical scene. Three died by suicide and one drank himself to death. And Rob Slater and I had a discussion and said, We got to try and do something to stop this. You know, it's, it's just wrong that somebody can't get treatment because they don't have health insurance. So we were doing a, a benefit track for an album that was being put out by a local club, The Ramcat. So we went down to Old House Studio in Charlotte, run by Chris Garges, who and and did the track. Turned out great. We looked at each other and said, there's some magic going here. Let's do this. So that was October of 2019. We talked to Chris. uh, We got Rob Slater, Gino Grandinetti, and Doug Davis to fill out the core band and went to work. We got four songs into it and COVID. So two years later and, and countless what do you call it? Lockdowns. We ended up with uh, Be Good to Yourself. Total of 27 songs, for a 23-song CD with, uh, like you said, a who's who of North Carolina musicians.
0: Tell us about bringing Southern culture on the skids into the project.
3: Like everybody in North Carolina, you know, I, I knew these guys. I mean, not personally, but I've heard their music for, forever and gone to see shows. In the whole nine yards, and we'd called Terry Anderson and ask him if we could do a tune of his, Thunderbird, and we were trying to find the correct singer, and we went through a couple of shots, and nothing was what we wanted, and then uh, I was looking at local you know, um, music papers here, and saw that they were playing at Ramcat, and I thought, well, what the heck, what have I got to lose, I'll just go down there and see if I can see Rick, and Ask him if I uh, introduced myself and ask him if he'd be interested in doing this. And sure sure enough, he listened to the pitch, took one look at my eye and said, I'm in. And, and Mary was sitting there and she said, me too. So that's that. <laughs> and on that track as well, the, the chorus is all Steve Stogel, who is the bass player for... Um, <laughs> the Smuged Stone Get down in Dallas, Charlotte
0: That's Thunderbird with Rick and Mary on vocals, following a conversation with Ed Bumgarner about Be Good to Yourself. You can find out more about the project at the website BeGoodToYourselfMusic.com. Thunderbird is a song by Terry Anderson, known for his work in North Carolina bands The Knobs and The Woods, who recorded the original version of his song Battleship Chains, which went on to become a hit for the Georgia Satellites in 1986. Ten years after Battleship Chains got nationwide airplay, a North Carolina jazz revival band named after an old-timey candy from Massachusetts was getting its moment in the sun with their song, Hell. Squirrel Nut Zippers found themselves with a hit on their hands in the same fashion that fellow Chapel Hill residents Southern Culture on the Skids did the year before. Both Hell and the Southern Culture on the Skids song, Camel Walk, were album tracks that no one thought would be a hit but were picked up by radio stations in key markets where they took off, soon becoming known nationwide. In the case of the Zippers, their label was the hugely successful local label Mammoth Records, whose West Coast rep kept bugging the biggest rock station in Los Angeles, KROQ, to play Hell until they played it as a joke and then witnessed the request lines light up in response. In the case of Southern Culture on the Skids, their song "Camel Walk" almost didn't make it onto their Geffen Records debut, "Dirt Track Date." Here's Rick Miller.
1: Well, the interesting thing about the whole uh, the whole major label thing, the first single out of off of "Dirt Track Date" was um was uh, I believe "Voodoo Cadillac," and it went to AAA radio. That song, "The Camel Walk," was a total throwaway. It was a B-side. It was filler that uh, our producer at the time, Mark Williams, we we had we had just put out a record on an indie label uh, called Ditch Digging, and then we had they signed us to um, Geffen DGC and they wanted a record right away. Well, we had just gotten off the road touring in the, the in August and they wanted songs by Christmas time or, you know, or they wanted to start recording in January and they needed so they wanted to hear three new songs by, you know, the, uh, by November or something. Right. So we got—they gave us ten thousand bucks. We bought a eight-track recorder, a couple mics, a little Mackie board, some mic stands, and we had a practice space in a garage. And we went in there and we cut Soul City, Dirt Track Date, and uh, what was the other one? Red uh, Beans was, and it, Reverb. No, well we did Red Beans and Reverb. That was the first song we ever recorded in the garage, and it got in a movie called. Um, <laughs> what was Flirting it, with maybe? Disaster. Flirting with Disaster, and we we're going whoa, <laughs> you know. That was crazy. So anyway, so they heard those. Oh, it was White Trash, Soul City, and Dirt Track Date. And they said, "Okay, well, let's make the record. And uh, so, you know, we ended up making the record. Well, we didn't have, we were short a couple songs because we just didn't have time to write enough songs. And Mark Williams, the producer, said, I like that song we did for that single on Zontar Records called Camel Walk. (laughs) And we were like, oh, come on, really? And he said, yeah, I love that song. Let's do that. Let's do that. We'll just give them that one. So we said, sure. And we did it. And like, we buried it. I don't know. It's like number seven, eight, nine on the record. I can't yeah, remember. Right. Deep, yeah. And we had toured for a whole year. We had gone to Europe twice all around the United States. And that thing came out and some DJ in one of those back in those days, you had target uh, like areas, right? Tampa Bay was one of them. And they would just kind of throw stuff at the DJs down there. They'd play it. And if something hit, All of a sudden everybody was on it on the radio right and this was modern rock totally like what so they put it out they played it and the thing lit up and they said oh we got a hit here with this camel walk song where's the band you know and well we're working on another record because we just we're just touring for i don't know how long right And they said hey you guys got to get back out on the road camel walks happening blah 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 and so we got in the van and did it all again and I remember we were playing in front of these huge crowds, and I'm just going, whoa, these people don't look like anybody I've ever seen at any of our shows, <laughs> you know? But they were just because they were playing it on the radio, you know? And I remember we just figured if we could keep 10 15% of these people, that we'd have a career. And that's really what happened. So we kind of owe it to a major label to a degree. Uh, baby? Will you eat that there snack cracker in your special outfit for
3: me, Uh, please?
0: walk by southern culture on the skids a song that helped give the band a big boost that put them in front of audiences around the world 10 albums later they're still going strong wrapping up our time together on this episode with a song from their latest album billy's board from at home with southern culture on the skids Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I also hope you might tell someone about Southern Songs and Stories in person or on social media. You can follow the series on podcast platforms everywhere, where it helps greatly when you give us a top rating and even more so with a good review. Because the show's visibility to everyone using those platforms depends largely on followers, ratings, and reviews southern songs and stories is a part of the podcast lineup of both public radio wncw and osiris media with all the osiris shows available at osirispod.com you can also hear new episodes of this podcast on bluegrass planet radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com thanks to Corey askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on wncw where we worked with joshua ming who wrote and performed our theme songs i'm your host and producer joe kendrick And this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it.
2: Practices. I often uh, have to go off and, uh, and do my services as a professional grandson these days where I uh, go around to all these older ladies and they hire me to do uh, jobs that to you and me might be quite easy, like hooking up a monitor to a computer, but to them they think it's like a miracle. And uh, that's one of the ways that I'm currently making money as, as a professional grandson. I'm a tech gigolo. I'm a tech gigolo. <laughs> <laughs>